Open with me in your copy of the Word of God to the book of Hebrews. We'll be in chapter 13 this morning, verses 20 through 21. Oh, this time last week I was putting in in the Colorado River with some friends in rafts along with my son. Thank you, Jason, for preaching for us, a faithful leader and shepherd among us. And just walking in a few moments ago, I said to a friend, rafting is the dumbest thing you can ever do, uh, which is what occurs to you before you go rafting, and then if you make it out alive, you think it's the best thing you've ever done. Um, someone said to me, oh, it's like mountain biking, Trent, which I do a bit of. Uh, you know, you can fall off and there's various dangers. And I said, but if I fall off my bike, I'm in my natural habitat on the ground. If I fall off of the raft, I'm in the whale's natural habitat. Not exactly a river, but you get the idea. I'm not a fish. That's a foreign kind of place. And there was a journey to be had across the country and rental car and then into a raft and then into the water. And Carson and I, the night before, have a ritual of getting all our things out and making sure we've accounted for all of the, the gear we've collected. We've gone here and there to get it in the house and around town. Do we have the food that we need? Do we have the gear that we need? Do we have everything we need? That's the question. Do we have everything we need? And when we're pretty sure we've got everything we need, we seal up the packs, and then we, then we go to bed, and we get up in the morning, and we get to it. Well, you and I are on a very treacherous journey. That's what the Christian life is. It's a dangerous journey full of dangers, toils, and snares. Well, how good is it to our ears to hear this at the end of the book of Hebrews? We read now the benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And this is God's word for us this morning. Two sermons left we'll spend this morning on this passage, which feels like the end, uh, and the very ending, which includes some greetings and, and an exhortation, feels somewhat anticlimactic, so maybe next week's sermon will feel anticlimactic. We'll set the bar right there for me. How about that? We'll spend this week in this text, and we'll spend next week in verses 22 through 25. Well, friends, we need to have a talk. We need to talk about prayers, doxologies, and benedictions. Prayers, doxologies, and benedictions. Now, no one who loves you will ever sit down with you and say, we need to talk about prayers, doxologies, and benedictions. Only I will do that with you. And this may never happen again quite like this. Uh, why must we do this? Uh, these are not the same things. That's why. And you say, I don't even talk about these things. Um, well, so we need to talk about them. Let me put these words in your vocabulary if they're, they're not there 
already, especially for new Christians. There's enough words to get. Why more new words? Well, these words are good words. They capture for us what we find in the Scripture. You know, there are some churches that try as hard as they can to avoid uh, religious-sounding jargon. There may not even be any, you know, stained glass or or a cross in the facility. You might not know it's different from a Walmart if you empty it out. Um, we're not a church that's trying to avoid all of the jargon, but our hope isn't in the jargon either. So we're not a church that, that because we've got the stained glass and the cross and then all the words, uh, we think we're just all good. No, our hope is in what these things point to. It's in the Lord Jesus, his cross and in his resurrection and in the invisible work the spirit is doing through the preached word every week. Really, we're about the invisible things here, but we use Words, God's given us words, and he's given us the capacity to use words to describe what we find in the Scripture. We're a church led by the Word of God, and there's a thing in the Bible called prayers, and there's something a little different, uh, doxologies, and there's something a little different still, benedictions. Today's text is a benediction. We'll get there in a few moments. The reason for spending some time up front differentiating between these is not unlike how an athlete would want to be able to catch a different kind of ball. So a basketball is about yay big and a baseball is about yay big, but you wear that glove, right? So maybe it looks like this, but you're actually catching that. And it comes from far away and there's the sun and you, you learn how to catch a ball. Indoors, outdoors, depending on the size. And then there's the football. Who made that thing up? Um, I still think it was a huge mistake to make the football initially, but now it's obviously not a mistake. But you learn how to throw the football, and you can throw it real straight, and it's kind of a remarkable ball. Uh, But they all get thrown a little different. They all get caught a little different. And maturing as an athlete is getting better and better at handling the ball, the ball. Well, maybe it's similar for the Christian and for Christian maturity. So as we grow in our Christian faith, we get better and better at handling the ball. But even the Word of God itself comes to us with different kinds of books and genre. And poetry is different from apocalyptic. Literature is different from a story. And they come at us different. And, And we develop muscles for that. And we talk about that in the preaching. What kind of literature this this is. We've even talked about how the book of Hebrews is really a, a sermon in letter form. He calls it a word of exhortation in next week's sermon, in like a homily or a sermon. Thanks for bearing with my sermon, he, he's going to say. So it's not quite like a normal letter, and yet it's a written piece of literature nevertheless. Well, there's these high and lofty sounding collections of words that we come across in the Bible. And they kind of all sound like prayers, but they're not all, they're not all prayers. There's a such thing as a, a doxology or, or a, bene, a benediction. With a prayer, we ask for what only God can do. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's for his sake, it's for us. But we're asking for what only God can do. With a doxology, we're giving glory to God that is due him alone. So a doxology might sound like this. 
To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now the amen there means, which we'll end the morning with ourselves, it means truly, truly, or yes, it's a a hearty affirmation. Amen doesn't have to end a prayer. In that case, in 1 Timothy uh, 1.17, it ends a doxology. A word of praise, now you can pray a prayer of praise to God or of thanks or of confession, but in this case, a doxology is the, the author bursting forth in praise to God, but not exactly in prayer to him, first person, it's third person before everybody. You can keep your eyes open, in other words. Another doxology To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The doxology. So with a prayer, we ask God for what only he can do. And with a doxology, we give glory to God who alone is due worship. And with a benediction... We expect from God what only He can give. A benediction. We expect from God what only He can give. Here's an example of a benediction. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts And establish them in every good word and work. We usually end our services with these. In fact, we always end our services with these. They really do belong at the end of a a gathering of a local church. They're a word of blessing on the people of God. If you think of a prayer asking God to fill us with his love and the knowledge of his son, for example, or to to open the eyes of our heart to see what is the hope of our calling, as Paul prays in Ephesians 1. If a prayer and a doxology are moving from us up to God, then a benediction, which kind of sounds like a prayer, a benediction is moving from God down to us. The movement is different. I want you to hear this. So even listen to our passage now. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus, our, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It was not a prayer with our eyes closed. We have our eyes open for something like this as we do at the end of our service. But neither are our hands closed. But if we were to do anything with our hands, it would be to open our hands. You're welcome to do this when we do benedictions. As a gesture of your reception of the blessing of God. Even in our prayers, if we're offering those up and we do so with confidence that God hears us, and especially as we pray on the basis of his word that he delights to hear these prayers, we don't have confidence in precisely 
how he's going to answer those prayers all the time. Well, in this case, using a scriptural benediction like this, oh, we say this and we hear this with confidence that God will grant what only he can. And he has told us to say these very kinds of things that we might receive the encouragement that we need hearing from his word in the form of a blessing from a servant like me, in this case a preacher, that he intends to equip us with everything good to do his will. A benediction is a form of a blessing. A blessing shows up on the first page of Scripture in the end of Genesis chapter 1 when God blesses that first human couple, having created them in his image. He blesses them and he gives them the world, even as he gives them himself. Uh, There's a famous blessing in Numbers chapter 6. I will turn there. You don't need to. It's called the Aaronic Blessing, and this is given from the Lord through Moses to the people as they're heading into the land. And this is now God's blessing on his people for their treacherous journey into his promised place of his presence. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So God there intended for his human agent to Put that blessing on the people, Moses a priest and a prophet, and he would bless them. How encouraging to hear those words that his face would be on his people, even as the sun beat down on them and scorched them. They met various forms of trials. They would have this blessing as a great encouragement, and not just nice words, but true words of God's true intention to bless them. And so these benedictions function similarly. Jesus lifted up his hands and blessed his disciples before he ascended to heaven. We read in Luke chapter 24. Jesus, that great high priest, offering a blessing for his people. Well, to pull a little bit of this together then, And I owe this and some of this to my brother who was a great help to me in thinking these things through as we were together this last week. Benedictions give us God-sized expectations. To hear these words at the end of this series is to leave us with God telling us to expect from him a blessing the size of him. God-sized expectations. We don't leave a sermon on Sunday. We don't leave this series in Hebrews kind of hoping things might work out for us. Maybe, maybe God will remember us and offer us a little help. Uh, no. 
And that's no sign of humility for you to talk to yourself like that. It's a sign of pride that you know better than he does. He has told you that he will equip you with everything good that you may do his will. And you can harden your heart against him. You can refuse to see how big and how generous he is. But if you'll confess that he is big and generous and that he's been generous in his son, then this is for you. Be greatly encouraged and be humbled to receive this gift from him. God size expectations. That's what a benediction does for us. They're gospel-shaped blessings, secondly. Uh, this benediction is full of Christ. In fact, it is as though the whole sermon has been loaded up and packed in and rolled together and pushed through the words and phrases in this benediction. Right there in the middle, he, he promises to equip us with everything good. And on either side, it is flanked with references to Jesus. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of his covenant. May he equip you with everything good to do his will. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. This is a gospel-shaped blessing, and it's shaped according to the sermon we've just heard over these last number of months. And so, when we craft, select, and or craft our benedictions that close our Sunday gatherings, so they are custom fit for what we just heard to bless you with the word of God that he will go with you and be for you all that you need to keep all that you heard. So benedictions are not like the credits at the end of a movie. I'm thankful for all those people not going to read their names. Not going to do any of that. I would want my name on the screen if I helped with the movie, but I think I would understand when everyone got up and left. Is the benediction kind of like that? It says at the end of the service, you know, we sing the song and then it's, you know, one more thing. Uh, this is time to pack up. Uh, no, it's not time to pack up. Uh, does this mean it's time to go home? No, it doesn't mean it's time to go home. It's time to hear God say, I will get you home. You see it? The benediction at the end of our service, these words right here are not just a nice soft landing on a long sermon in the morning. A little breather here between uh, singing and, and listening and then, and then heading to the car. You need the benediction. Now, God bless you if you need to scoot out to get to some ministry post. But by all means, stay for the benediction. We have no problem with folks you know, packing up and getting out. But I have seen that before. And you're not judged if... You do need to scram. I'll assume and will assume you have a very good reason for that. My point is simply that we don't approach any of these elements, much less the benediction, which gets you home, uh, lightly or as expendable. Everything we do, we do because God has told us to do it. And these benedictions are how Christians part from one another. They're how this sermon, the book of Hebrews, lands. And land isn't even quite the right word, for this is not a conclusion. Really, it's more of a transition. So third, benedictions give us God-sized expectations, gospel-shaped blessings, 
and bridges for grace as we go on our way. That's the one image you can remember there. A benediction is like a bridge for grace from the sermon in the morning to travel over into your heart and life as you head into your week. That's what it is. It's a bridge. So when we stand at the end of the morning for the benediction, God is throwing up a bridge and then he's rolling up grace and he's running it over the bridge and leaving it with you in such a way that you can hold it and take it with you. And he is actually blessing us in the moment so that we might be equipped to go out apart from one another but with the knowledge that he is with us and with all the grace he intends for us to take with us. They're not conclusions. Really better, they're transitions. And in this sense, they are really the the most biblical way to get what application is in the course of a sermon. It's the putting on of the material to the person. So you've heard the word and God has been at work in us and now we're taking it home And here is the grace to take everything that we've heard home. Here, take it. Like applying a paint to a fence, it's putting it on. It's that last moment of the morning in which we put on all that we heard so that we might take all that we heard with us. It's a bridge for grace as we go on our way. Not a signal that it's time to go home but God's word to us that he will get us all the way home. Prayers, doxologies, and benedictions. Now, as you read your Bibles, you'll have a little more sensitivity to what's happening on the pages of Scripture. One last word here. I would invite you to do these amongst yourselves. Um, Close the day with your children. Part after uh, visiting with family, with a benediction, if not just a prayer. Uh, The reason I say that is these appear typically at the end of a letter, but they also pop up in the middle of letters sometimes, and so do doxologies, and so do prayers. So it's good to say, let's pray about that right now. God, would you help us with this matter? Would you keep us safe? Would you take care of us? Would you show us that you love us today? We know that you care to do so because you've shown us how much you love us in the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross for us. Be with us by your spirit in Christ's name we pray, amen. It's good to stop and to pray together in more specific ways than that for one another. It's also good to just give praise to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You hear about a birth? Give praise to God. And you keep your eyes open. It's third person. Let everyone hear it. That's the point. And directs our thoughts Godward. Those doxologies, those are good to do. Um, the apostle Paul, in writing his letters, would burst into praise like that periodically. Similarly, these benedictions, these, these good words of gospel blessing appear typically in a transition like the end of a book, but they also appear periodically in and throughout the letters. And in all kinds of language, although this is not untypical, 
gospel, God-sized, a bridge for grace. Think about that. Um, there's no wrong time for, for a benediction in that sense. If your heart is welling up with a desire to, for God to bless his people, your family, someone you're speaking with, it's okay just to say, well, may the God of peace bless us with his peace today. May his peace go with us. Eyes open. That's a movement from God through these words from Scripture down to us rather than a movement in prayer from us to him. Well, now that your prayer, doxology, and benediction sensors are properly calibrated, we'll know how to use those words and we'll be able to identify them when they meet us on the page. And now for the benediction. Now for the benediction. I thought, that sounds like what we say. And then I googled, now for the benediction. And there were tens of thousands of millions of results of transcribed sermon videos where the service ends, now for the benediction. So it's a good header. Now for the benediction. And in this process of the rest of the sermon, I'm not so much going to talk about the text as much as I'm going to try to bless you with it using some of what we have gathered over the last months in our series. You've heard plenty of preaching now for an extended benediction. And Jesus would hold his hand up. I won't do that the whole time. I would lose blood to my hand. We aren't quite done yet. But just know this is from God and receive it as from Him. Now, beloved, may the God of peace, may the God of peace, let's rest on that line, a signal that our series through this book of Hebrews has come to an end but not an indication for us that it is time to pack up our things because all the good stuff is behind us. Rather, an occasion, an indication that it is time to perk up for our author, the author of Hebrews, whomever he was, is about to pack up all that he has given to us in this book and fit it for us, for our souls, so that we might go home with it. It's a signal that we're near the end of the book of Hebrews. It's a signal that we are about to receive a blessing from God. And we have had, and you have had your ears open throughout the course of the preaching through this glorious book of Hebrews, some 20 or so sermons. But now, while we have our ears open, we also have our hands open to show the Lord that we are to now receive what he is eager to freely and graciously give to us. We came into this series, and even this morning, at our best, with great expectations for what God would say. And now... 
receiving the benediction from this God, the God of peace, we have great expectations for what he will do for us and in us and with us and among us, even through, through us. A signal as well, this initial line is, that the God who will bless us is a God of peace. How is it that we sinners as we are who could not get back to the garden because of that flaming sword and the justice and holiness of God and sinners who could not go into the Holy of Holies, much less approach the tabernacle apart from sacrifices under the old covenant, how is it that we could be at peace with God? For he is the God of peace, but if this is to be encouraging for us at all, a blessing to us at all, it must mean that he's a God who has pursued and accomplished peace with us. Great, great, great news for sinners. And of course, he has. And what is the nature of this peace and how it's accomplished? Well, now may the God of peace, he continues, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. And so we consider that the peace that God provides for us is a peace that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. If death is that enemy which strikes fear rightly in any sinner apart from the grace of God, And it's that great symbol of alienation from God, of separation from Him. Death, which leads to the judgment from God. Death, which highlights our sin and our guilt. If death is all that for us, then Jesus' resurrection removes all that for us. So that we might not be alienated from God, but be at peace with him, so at peace that we can know, even enter his very presence by means of prayer and through the Lord Jesus Christ, and be perfectly welcome, warmly received, as received as the Son is received, for we have been made many sons in him. And we enter with confidence and assurance because. His blood has sprinkled our conscience clean. And apart from the resurrection, the blood which he shed would be of no use to us. But he has been brought again from the dead. And so this is our great hope of great peace with God. It also highlights his great intervention. For that word brought again is kind of a weird way to say raise Jesus from the dead, but that's what he means. But brought again is how the Lord spoke about what he did with Moses through the prophet Isaiah when he brought up out of the land the shepherd of the sheep, which he's speaking of Moses. Moses was brought up by God who had dramatically intervened in the life of the people and through his servant Moses, and so God dramatically intervened in history to bring the Lord Jesus Christ again from the dead. 
And Jesus Christ was raised not only to be raised from death, but be raised to reign. For as this book spoke of from beginning to end, the Lord Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand and took his throne in order to reign. And his reign is a reign of peace. And not only does his reign a reign of peace, but he there intercedes for us, ever living to intercede for us, so that we might be ever at peace with God, welcome in his presence. And we might think that that's enough meditation on Jesus. Okay, the peace that God, the God of peace brings to us comes through Jesus, got it, heard a whole sermon, but not done yet. For Jesus is for us the great shepherd of the sheep. And we need, as we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to remember that Jesus is for us the great shepherd of his sheep. And it's humbling to be reminded that we're sheep. It's been said that sheep are a great proof against evolution because there's just no way they would not have survived. We would not survive. We would not and could not make it apart from a very great shepherd. And you and I have a very great shepherd. A new image to this book, but not a new image to Christian hearers. For this imagery is all over our scriptures. Jesus is for us, is he not? A great helper for us in our weakness. He knows our weaknesses. He knows them personally and intimately for he has been a man himself and is a man even now, but he walked among us and ahead of us, and all of our temptation to give up the suffering in order to find some type of glory instead, Jesus had that temptation too, to leave off the path, but did not leave off the path. He sympathizes with us in our weakness. He really, really cares about you and I in our infirmities. And as he came and as he went ahead of us, so he is our guide as a shepherd is. Even our pioneer blazing a trail where we ought to go. So where do we go? We follow him as we carry our crosses. And as we suffer, do we wonder, are we in the right place? Have we done the right thing? Well, he promised this very trouble to us. And he also promised that we would be vindicated with him on the other side. He blazed the trail, we follow in his way, and we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have done just the same by faith as he did and as we are doing. He cares for us in our weakness. He's a sympathetic, helpful shepherd. He guides us as our pioneer. He feeds us for he is our milk and our solid food. We are always well fed when we're under his word. And of course, he protects us and does so through various warnings that we have read in this book of Hebrews. He does not pull a punch. If we drift away, if we leave off him, if we harden our hearts, there is no sacrifice for sins. This is a good shepherd and he loves us in every appropriate way. He gave his life to save us, to give us a great salvation. And he ever lives 
to see us all the way to shore. This is our good shepherd. And there is no greater proof than in the blood he shed. For he did this by the blood of the eternal covenant. The God of peace who is going to bless us, and we'll find out what that is in a moment, is this God. He's the God who brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus. Jesus, who's the great shepherd of the sheep. And he brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus by the blood of the eternal covenant. John Owen writes, The death of Christ, if he had not risen, would not have completed our redemption. We should have been still in our sins, for evidence would have been given that atonement was not made. The bare resurrection of Christ, or the bringing of him from the dead, would not have saved us. For so other men may be raised by the power of God. But the bringing again of Christ from the dead through the blood of the everlasting covenant is that which gives assurance of the complete redemption and salvation of the church. By the blood of the eternal covenant, a bit of a peculiar way of saying how the Father raised him from the dead, but that is how powerful his blood is. And the resurrection is a confirmation of the power of that blood to bring us forgiveness and to raise us from the dead just the same. The death and the resurrection of Jesus are intricately involved with one another, and they cannot be separated, and you need both. So let us talk about the cross But let us talk about the cross as shorthand for the whole work of Jesus. And if we had to add one more line, let us talk about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. For all of this is the basis for whatever blessing God is going to send us out with this morning. And do you notice that? He hasn't even told us what he's blessing us with yet. He's taking a while to get there. Now may the God of peace... So be encouraged, what's coming is good for us. Uh, Who brought us again, brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. Oh, he's gathering up the whole book and he's going to cash it in for us. Now, the blessing he's been leading us to. Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. May he equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Not may he equip you to do whatever you might want to do with your life, because you have dreams and potential. Not may he equip you to look like a great Christian before your friends at church this Sunday. Not may he equip you to be very liked by your friends at work and in the neighborhood and even at church. Not may he equip you 
to feel very righteous when compared with other sinners. But may he equip you with everything good, a total and sufficient equipping for a very specific purpose, that you may do his will. Now, it's very frustrating for him to speak about something so mysterious with only a few verses left, isn't it? I mean, we all know that God's will is a super secret, mysterious thing hidden in a box that must be discerned through dreams and deep meditation and which might strike you at a strange time and which you would hope you're right in discerning. Talk to all your friends and ask them what they think God's will is for you. Um, No, apparently what he means by God's will is is plain on the face of it. It refers to those matters which he's called us to through the whole book. In the first place, that we would hold fast to Jesus and the confession of our hope. And in the second place, that we would live according to that confession by faith. For example, by being holy as he is holy. Or, By showing hospitality to strangers. Or by loving your brothers and sisters. And when they're in prison, in hardship. And there's some risk in visiting. Lest you'd be marked out yourself. That you would have the strength to visit them when they're in prison. Or keeping the marriage bed in all honor. In purity. And pursuing your wife or husband. You're a sinner, they're a sinner. Every marriage is very hard. Nevertheless, giving yourself to your spouse sacrificially and in love and with great respect through the course of your marriage, so to honor marriage and in the secret thoughts and in when you're alone to honor your marriage bed with all purity. These Matters are God's will. You see, God's will is not often so hard to understand. It is just so often hard for sinners to keep, which is precisely why we need these sermons and precisely why we need this benediction, because we need the blessing of God. We need to be equipped with everything good that we might do his will this week. So let the grace come over the bridge and land on you and receive that grace as from God and give him praise for every act of obedience this week. An encouraging word with this word equip here too. It has a, maybe a two-part meaning. In the first place, how we think of it to resource us or to supply us with what we need. So heading out on a journey and filling your pack with everything that you need for the road. But what happens when I get hurt? Or what happens when I lose something? Or what happens when I break something? Or what happens when I simply fail and I turn off the trail for a time? Now this word equip is good for us in that respect as well. For it means not only that God resources us, but that he restores us. He mends us. And he heals us. The God who sends us out sends grace over that bridge. But he goes with you. He comes over that bridge. And he goes with you. 
And he's your first aid kit, spiritually speaking. The same word used for, for mending nets at the, at the water at Galilee when Jesus came upon his disciples upon calling them, mending their nets. So our God is about mending his people resourcing them and restoring them and we need all of that from him for all that he calls us to. You know it and I know it. Everything good that we may do his will. God-sized expectations for all of God's expectations. He provides the grace and he intervenes so that we might be changed to love and follow him from faith. Grace for every danger and toil and snare. And to clarify a bit, he equips us with everything good that we may do his will Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. He worked in the Lord Jesus to raise him from the dead powerfully. And he is at work among us in you and in me to work that which is pleasing in his sight. He is all about his pleasure and good thing. He takes pleasure in a sinner that turns to him and follows him. Any spiritual good that God will do in your life or mine or in the life of our church, he does through Jesus Christ. And that's his next line. Through Jesus Christ, he works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Uh, you can't get Jesus out of your sight. If you're going to follow the word of God and believe by faith what God has said, you're going to be following Jesus and looking to Jesus and remembering that whatever good God will do in you, he will do through the Lord Jesus. His blood, the blood of his new covenant, is not only good for your full forgiveness, but it is good for your transformation. And the transformation is slow, and we feel that. We feel the need for this benediction every week. And we will work out our own salvation, as Paul says in Philippians 2, even as he works in us to bring about the end that he has purposed for us. See God's hand in you and on you as you leave on a Sunday morning through a benediction just like, just like this. And remember that Jesus Christ not only brings about the forgiveness of our sins, but the kind of transformation that makes it possible for us to lovingly and with great faith to obey and to stay with our Lord. Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Jesus Christ, that, that one who is the perfect revelation of God, better than what angels could bring and reveal about him, better than anything Moses brought us, 
Jesus is a high priest greater than Moses. He's a high priest greater than the great high priests. He brings about a better sacrifice, a better salvation, better access to God. And what Jesus did doesn't ever have to repeat, be repeated. It's completely done. And the office Jesus holds as priest isn't an office anyone else can hold. Only he can hold it as the divine human son. He brings about a perfect rest. And when we meet him face to face one day, when this world is shaken and all the shaken things are gone and all that remains is his people and himself and his kingdom, so we will be perfect as he is perfect. He is committed to you and to me so that we can look at ourselves this morning and ask, do we have everything that we need? Do we have everything that we need for this journey of ours, for this next leg, these next seven days? And the answer is is yes, and the answer is amen. And that is the last word of this benediction, amen. And so it is the last word and a confident word and a joyful word that we say together at the conclusion of at least most of the book of Hebrews. Say it with me. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you praise that you are a God who speaks and that while you have spoken in many ways and at many times, you have spoken to us in these last days by your Son. And you have even spoken to us by your Son this morning through the preaching of of your word. It's like a double-edged sword and it cuts way down. It's a sword of judgment. Were it not for the Lord Jesus and for his perfect once-for-all sacrifice of himself, that shedding of his perfect blood, it would be a sword of judgment for us. But as it is, it is a sword of transformation and of grace. We give you great thanks for this great book And we give you even greater thanks for the great Savior that the book has spoken to us about. From its very first page and all the way through its preaching. And now in these final words. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.